This week on Let's Connect. So many people don't know how to be friends with themselves. That was very true for myself when I met the Dharma in my 20s. I was my own worst enemy with tons of self-hatred, and I think that's quite common. And I worry today with these children watching these TikTok videos and all this coming in, the comparative mind that's going on. That's why we see so much suicide. I don't think I would have been able to handle that, you know, as a youth. Welcome to Let's Connect. My name is Keith McPherson, and I'm so glad you've decided to join me for this next episode. Let's Connect is a podcast that interviews people from all walks of life who have inspiring stories to share about who they are and who they're becoming. As a life coach and someone who's genuinely curious about connecting with people, spirituality, mindfulness, and what this world is all about, I'm here to ask powerful questions, share my insights as well, and to really connect on a deep level to help us all grow in awareness of who we really are. So sit back, relax, and let's connect. Hi everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Let's Connect. I'm so excited that Melissa Moore is here on the program today, sharing about her new book, The Diamonds Within Us, and her work as the co-founder of Karuna Training, which is a certification in contemplative psychology. She's going to share a lot more about that on the program today. And I feel like the timing of her visit here on Let's Connect is absolutely impeccable. I'm not surprised because I do feel like everything is happening perfectly on time, even when it doesn't seem like that. Um, there's a saying from ancient Hawaii that I wrote about in my book, Ika Ponomea, which um, is a, an ancient Hawaiian greeting. When people would meet in ancient Hawaii, they would say, Ika Ponomea, and loosely translated into English, it means everything is happening perfectly on time. Isn't that like a beautiful way to greet somebody? Just, you know, your meeting here with me is perfectly on time. You have things to share with me. I have things to share with you. Um, in particular today, I, I believe that Melissa has a lot to share with us about how to bring ourselves back home when our busy minds have wandered and taken us off into worry and anxiety and fear of all the things that might happen or could happen or maybe should have happened in the past. We spend so much time not in the present moment worrying about all the things there are to worry about instead of really tuning in to the present moment and becoming aware of all the miracles that are happening right now, right here, as we take this breath. And so we're going to be speaking today about that, that whole essence of how to bring ourselves back when we wander off and how to, as she would say, how to connect to the diamonds within us that we often forget are there. Um, I, last week, took a trip to Sarasota, Florida, and prior to going on the trip, I was going through a pretty flat time in my life. It was feeling like a rut. Um, I actually was working with my coach, Abigail, who some of you may have heard on a previous interview here. And she said, Keith, it sounds like you have spiritual amnesia right now. Like you've forgotten to connect with your spirit. Like you're up in your head and you're worrying and you're just, you know, just overthinking. And she was right. And she, she gave me the challenge. She said, you need to slow down and connect back to your spirit, like back to meditation, back to what you talk about. It's time for some integrity here. You need to slow down, close your eyes and connect and ask for help, which can be very vulnerable when we turn inward 
and ask our spirit to, to help guide us. But I took her advice on a coaching challenge and to say the least, I got on the plane to Florida and I felt like a spoiled little brat. I'm like, oh, I don't want to go to Florida. I just want to stay in Winnipeg in my safety and comfort zone. And I was just in one of those funks. <laughs> but nonetheless, I asked for help and I got off the plane in Sarasota, Florida. And miracle after miracle after miracle started unfolding. And I'm talking miracles of like the right people showing up at the right time, the right opportunities presenting themselves. It was absolutely in what you might call the flow. Um, one of the highlights of the trip for me was I met a, a man there named Igor who uh, is from the Ukraine. Just to give you a little backstory on Igor, I, I'm really hoping he may be a guest on the show at some point. But Igor um, came from the Ukraine just before the war broke out. I think it was the December before the Ukraine and Russian war um, took started. And uh, Igor's backstory prior to that was he had this dream since he was a child of wanting to be a healer. He was really into Tai Chi and like um, just meditation and, and wanting to, to heal. And because his upbringing was so strict, his parents said, you need either to be a doctor or a lawyer. You have to choose something that's like going to, you know, make you money and earn a living. And so Igor um, chose to be a doctor and he studied and got his... Uh, I guess his doctor degree or whatever you call it, his PhD. But then he went to Vietnam and started studying all these alternative healing methods and um, nonetheless ended back up in the Ukraine after studying that for several years. And one night just before the war broke out in the December before the war, he had a dream. And in his dream, he heard a voice. He says it was the voice of God. Um, disclaimer, this might seem a little weird to some of you listening, but he heard the voice of God in his dream. And God said to him, Igor, you need to leave the Ukraine. Um, stuff's going to go down here and you need to travel to North America and be a healer. And he said, I knew it was, um, true because my mother also came to me in the dream and affirmed this to be true. And his mother has passed away and he, he had a vivid sense that his mother was also affirming this. Isn't that amazing? So he, he flew over to New York City is where he started. He arrives in New York City with not even access to his bank account, apparently. And um, he starts meeting people and starts offering them healings. And by healings, I mean, he does energy work. So he uses a combination of um, his hands and the, the touch of hands and I guess there's a meditation component as well. And he is very intuitive. It's just the most incredible practice. So he starts traveling around and he's not even necessarily charging a set rate for these services. He's literally just completely trusting the spirit in that, you know, people are donating whatever they want to pay for his services as they meet him. And it's just this sort of flow that's happening. <laughs> so long story short, Igor ends up in Sarasota, Florida at the same time as me. We meet, I believe this is an absolute miracle that we meet. And I, I tell him briefly about some of the challenges I've been having lately in this rut that I've been experiencing. I feel like, you know, mid forties, which is where I'm at right now, it, it hasn't been the easiest. I'm navigating so many things and, you know, they talk about midlife crisis. I think it's true. I'm like, I'm trying to figure out like, you know, what, what do I really want to focus on career wise right now? I feel like I'm kind of scattered. I got so much going on. 
I'm also contemplating relationship. You know, I went through a separation divorce, a very amicable one with my partner, but we decided we're better off friends than lovers. So I'm right now wide open, um, romantically speaking. And I'm also thinking about location too. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm living in, in Winnipeg, which I absolutely love this city, but more so certain times a year when it's not winter peg, it's when it's actually Winnipeg where I'm winning because it's so beautiful outside. Um, so there's a lot on my mind. I'm, I'm sharing a lot here, but um, anyways, I ran into Igor and I shared a bunch of what I've been experiencing with him. And he said, are you ready for healing? I said, I would love one. So we were sitting in my friend's backyard overlooking the ocean. It was just this magical place. And uh, he says, well, just expect that once we do some work, things are going to start shifting and it might get chaotic for a while, but you're going to get a lot of messages and signs. I said, yep, I'm, I'm open to it. I mean, this is a sign that we've even met. So he proceeds to give me this treatment where I'm sitting in a chair and he's just digging his hands into my scalp and my face. And I'm like feeling the pain. He's digging into my shoulders, like super deep tissue massage, like unbearable. And I have no choice but to, in all the mindfulness training, just breathe through it and surrender completely. And then uh, after this excruciating pain that gets stirred up in me, he proceeds to put one hand on my heart and one hand on my head. And I have my eyes closed and he proceeds to have his hand on my heart and head for about 15 minutes. And it was amazing to have somebody hold energetically that loving kindness um, for that long a period of time. And my mind started going busy at first, like thinking, how long is this going to be? And, you know, rush, rush, rush and distract, distract. But eventually I was able to just settle into it. And it got so calm inside me. It was like this, just this feeling of complete peace. And as soon as he took his hands off and said, okay, we're complete. I opened my eyes and this blue heron flew down from the sky and landed in front of me probably about 20 feet away and just stood there. And he, his eyes, he kind of, his head turned towards me and it was almost like he was saying, pay attention, dude, like you need to listen to this message. And then this blue heron just stood there for about two minutes in complete silence. It was like, and stillness, like he didn't move. It was so calm. And as he was standing there, my friend has this little pug dog and the dog started approaching the blue heron and the blue heron didn't budge. And then the dog kind of started grunting at him and got really close actually, maybe an arm's length away or two arms length away. And the blue heron didn't budge. And as I was watching this unfold, I was thinking, wow, is this ever symbolic of what's going on for me where I'm trying to find my center, but this pug-like energy of my busy mind and all the conditioning and all the shoulds and shouldn'ts and all that stuff is trying to distract me. And what was amazing is uh, after about two minutes of this pug trying to intimidate the blue heron, the blue heron in its own time uh, flew away. And as soon as it spread its wings to fly away, the pug actually ran in the opposite direction. And I thought, wow, is that ever a metaphor and a lesson from nature, mother nature, that I, I am poised and I can choose to be still and centered and come back home to myself in those moments when the busy mind is trying to take over from all of the conditioning.
And so the timing today for this podcast, I feel it's like just so timely to have Melissa Moore with us because this is her entire practice is about how to bring ourselves back home when we wander off into those places of fear and anxiety. She has an extensive training in Buddhism. Um, she's going to talk a lot about it on the podcast today. And uh, so without further ado, let's, let's, let's get into this. And I invite you, if you can find a place to be still and really tune in, there's a lot of wisdom today in the words of Melissa Moore. So please meet Melissa. Welcome to the podcast, Melissa. It's amazing to connect with you for the first time. And I feel like you're a yeah. soul sister in just the little bit we've met so far. Nice yeah. to meet you too, Keith. I yeah, should thank, too. Thank you. Thanks for being here. I'm really excited about your new book that's just come out, uh, The Diamond, The Diamonds Within Us. And I just want to start there because I'm just curious. When I heard that title, The Diamonds Within Us, like <laughs> this might be a loaded question, but from your perspective, like what are the diamonds within us? What does that mean? Well, it's all the um, innate and inherent um, resilience we have within us that comes from um, attributes that we can cultivate within ourselves if we bring our awareness to them. So, you know, traditionally, my work draws from the Buddha Dharma. So we talk about uh, love and compassion, equanimity, and um, joy, for example, all being facets of that diamond. Mm. And there's also aspects in us, like we have the, the fundamental baseline of uh, contemplative psychology, which is what I teach, is that we all possess innate health that we have an innate um, uh, resonance within us of sanity. That's a very old-fashioned word, sanity. Mm. But um, it it is it just it is our reservoir of health. Even when we're dying, even when we have a diagnosis, even when we're um, labeled as crazy, right, <laughs> or whatever all these things and ways in which we can um, solidify and start to really believe these things. But uh, we all love these stories of resilience, human resilience, right? And mm -hmm. somehow people always are able to tap something within them. And if you look at the resilience studies and stuff, that we have this something within us that we can, we can contact. And often we need that, we need to have that reminded or we need others to, um, to support us, or we need a kind of um, situation that can foster that connection within ourselves, because it's very easy in the, the way that we live our lives these days to lose connection with that, especially because we're bombarded with messages about what we don't have and what we need to buy in order to be whole, right? Mm -hmm. So that's much more part of our mental conditioning than understanding that we have something wholesome and powerful within us that we can draw on. And it's, I call it the, the potency of heart. Oh, wow. You know, like, just, just hearing you speak to this, like it's so timely that we're meeting right now and we're having this conversation, uh, to be honest. I, a few weeks ago, was in a coaching session with my coach. I was sharing with you earlier about this. And 
I was going through one of those periods where I, I forgot that I have diamonds within me, to be honest, like just to paraphrase sure. it. And my yeah. coach said, I'm pretty sure you have spiritual amnesia right now. You've <laughs> forgotten who you really are. And I, I think um, I speak for a large majority of the population that is so identified to, you know, our identity of what we do or what we, yeah. you know, our material wealth, what we gain, our success. You know, when we talk to people, it's like, we ask the question, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> what, do, what do you do? And it's like, right. it's all based on sort of this attachment to the physical world. And I'm, I'm just curious, like, if I go back into your backstory, was there ever a time where that was the case or do you toggle between the two or do you feel like oh yes uh, yeah <laughs> yesterday <laughs> okay you know so, yeah. you know i mean uh it, it's a constant uh you know um it's a constant arising right it's like getting up in the morning and how we feel in the morning and what are the rituals that we do to maintain connection to ourselves we're not always going to feel great. And depending on our conditioning and our habits of mind, right? We can easily, I am someone who can get easily knocked off by the littlest things, right? It could be a headline, you know? And yes. then I have to really come back home to myself. And, you know, of course, I've taught myself how to feel and center myself and come home to my heart. Mm -hmm. But when I meditate daily, I spent time seeing if I if I can even feel my heart because some days I can't. Mm. I mean, you know, I I I think that eighty percent I would say is remembering, remembering that we have this source within us because mm. we're so conditioned to look outside ourselves for what we need, like confirmation or, you know our bank account is full or our relationships feel good, but there's times when they don't, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't think humans can escape that. Yeah, I totally feel that deeply yeah. within me as well. I'm curious if we go into your backstory a little bit, just to give listeners some context about how you came to this realization, because I get the sense, I mean, we're born on the planet and, you know, my belief is that we arrive here in that sort of we don't even have to remember. We just are that loving joy. Like I, that's, oh, that's at least nice. My, you know, that's my sense. Yeah. I don't know how, what you believe, but well, probably we're born that way. And depending on what kind of conditions we're born into, it's either cultivated or not. Right. Yeah. Uh, depending on how we're raised in the the circumstances. But my backstory is uh, really, I was. Uh, really pretty troubled when I found, but not knowing it particularly, when I found the path of Buddhism. Mm -hmm. I was 24, and I was not um, looking for Buddhism whatsoever. I had not been raised with any religion. I mean, I spent my Sunday mornings at the mall, right? Mm. I come from the Midwest, and my earlier youth, I was in California, and we moved a lot, and my parents were divorced, right? It's a lot of trauma in the family. And when I came to Boulder, Colorado, I was just looking for a good time, to be honest. I came in literally with a rock and roll band that I was traveling around with. And I, um, I wasn't singing. I was just part of the, you know, 
Was it a famous? Was it a famous band? It was the Ozark Mountain Daredevils. Okay. Did you ever hear of them? And then you wouldn't have in the seventies, of course not. But they did have a. And I went looking for a dance class, and I wandered into Europa Institute on the Boulder Mall. And they meditated before the class, which I thought was utterly stupid. I didn't understand what they were doing. (laughs) And um, I was very judgmental. Uh And I I noticed, I can remember that, actually, because I remember that I lived in that judgmental state of mind. But then um, there was a janitor there, and he said, he told me all about the founder of Naropa Institute, who was Chugyam Trungpa Rinpoche, who was a Tibetan wild man. And it got very intriguing. And there were all kinds of characters around him, like Allen Ginsberg and this whole art scene that was happening at Naropa Institute. So I was like, okay, I'm coming. <laughs> it was that kind of impulsive. And the, the funny thing is about Trungpa Rinpoche is that he was such a potent teacher and such a serious Buddhist, and he really wanted to implant Buddhism in the West, and he did a good job of it. Uh, it was like walking into the mouth of a crocodile, really. And then mm. it was the kind of thing where I couldn't, I learned too much too quick, you know, about myself and my own tendencies, just because the environment was such a hall of mirrors. Mm. And um, yeah, I resisted the whole Buddhism and the whole community and everything I thought was sort of looking cultish at the time. And, uh, and yet, I could not deny that wherever I went, my mind was following me. Wow. <laughs> and that I had to kind of take responsibility for that. And that's pretty much the message of the Dharma is that, um, the Buddha Dharma is that, you know, we're, we do have causes and conditions and we are interconnected and what we, what we do affects others um, deeply. What we think, say, and feel affects others, everyone. Yeah, and vice versa. So there's this interconnectedness, but ultimately, on the relative level, we'll, we're responsible for our own minds and our right. own sense of peace. And so, um, I think I hit the wall enough times <laughs> that I finally, you know, how it is. I don't know if you're like that. I'm someone who has oh, to yeah. hit the wall, and I and I think that I don't think that. Um, Buddhism is for everyone because, because, you know, I mean, there's just so many paths to this open-heartedness. But it's very grueling, actually. It re- requires a lot of surrender and devotion and many hours of meditation on the cushion, which I resisted a lot at the beginning. But, you know, I gradually began to see the benefits of it. I, I gradually began to realize that the more I meditated, the more space I had in my own mind and heart. And that a certain agency and voice began to emerge, a certain strength, one of these diamonds of myself, a kind of wisdom became, started to emerge. And, you know, I, for example, I was one of the youngest ones in my uh, class in the Naropa contemplative psychotherapy class, but I was one of the first ones to get a job right out of school as a therapist. So, you know, many conditions, you know, a lot of strength started to pour from me that I never expected. Hmm. So it, it sort of was the right environment, a taming environment for me. Yeah. Now, um, 40 years later, um, it's, 
you know, it's still a path of having to remember. Um, I do, you know, we have to maintain it, right? And there's periods when, you know, I go through certain things. Um, one thing that's happened, uh, Chugyam Trungpa's community is known as the Shambhala community. Have you heard of that? Yep, I'm very familiar. So the, the, yeah, the Shambhala community blew sky high about five years ago due to a Me Too incident because Chugyam Trungpa's son, Sakya Mipam, was called out on a Me Too incident. And in mm. that circumstance, you know, by then, 40 years later, I'm a senior teacher, and I wanted uh, the Sakyong to face, face the situation very directly. Yeah. And when he didn't do that, about 13 of us senior teachers jointly stepped down in kind of uh, a protest. And it's really not about him, actually. I now, with a lot of contemplation and remembering to love myself through this, it's really about um, the Shambhala community was always, Chugyam Trungpa himself was quite unconventional, let's put it that way. And uh, the Shambhala community was always unconventional. And that's, if it hadn't have been crazy and wild like that, I wouldn't have been interested. Mm. That's that's what magnetized me. So I think it's medicine for was medicine for a certain type of person. Oh, interesting. And so I now can really hold it with great love and appreciation. I'm no longer really part of the Shabala community, which has been really hard because that was my home for 40 years. Wow. So it's been a whole new groundless era of finding what matters and what matters is my meditation practice and staying connected to my heart and being grateful for the teachings that I received from Chibian Trungpa and the journey I've made for sure. And also just sort of taking a long view about um, just about culture and all the changes in culture and the swings that it makes between conservative and liberal. You know, when you're, I'm 66 now, and so I can look back over life and think, wow, what I was attracted to then, I would never be attracted to now. So it's it's an evolution. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm, as I'm listening to you, even pre our rec starting the recording of this podcast, you were speaking about um, moving homes from California to Colorado due to some fire incidents that yes. had happened and a, a whole backstory there. But I find it so interesting, like metaphorically and literally speaking, that you've been, it seems like challenged in your life to really find what is home, you know, like it keeps getting. That's really true, actually. Thank you. How astute yeah. of you. That started when I was very, you know, a baby. So yeah. finding home is really important. You're right. Yeah. I noticed that theme is emerging and, and I, I feel like I feel it so deeply myself as like we're on this quest to find out like what is home? Like what is actually home? And I'm curious what that means yeah. to you. Like what is that to you from what you know so far of this quest? Well, I think home, well, we say that in different ways, right? I always talk about coming home to yourself when you meditate, like finding this um, synchronization with yourself in the present moment where your body 
and your breath and your mind are all doing the same thing in one moment. Wow. That's yes. rare. That's home. Yeah, is it ever? That's home. Yeah, it's home. We can only like touch it, right? Just for a moment of synchronization. Yeah. Why but is then there's so the then there's the outer home, right? That really matters to me as far as um safety and comfort and that kind of thing. I you know, been chasing that my whole life. Yeah. So there's aspects to it, right? What does it mean to you? I'm curious. Well, very similar. Like the more that I be with that, I'm realizing that home for me has been sort of a dual as well, where I'm always feel like I'm on a chase, you know, is it making the more money that's going to give me the security or is it living in a very comfortable home or is it having that career that's super stable or that relationship that's going to, you know, be with me forever with quotations. Like that's what I've sort of feel like I've been conditioned to believe is home. But the more that I be with this question and, and waking up from my spiritual amnesia recently and meeting you like the synchronicity of it, I'm starting to realize like home is not necessarily a physical thing for me. It's like, it's, it's a feeling and it's a connection to my spirit, like that unconditional, timeless, beyond the, you know, the hashtags of when I'm born and die, like the... Well the, said, yeah. You know, it's like saying. home feels like yeah, that and I think that's a, Yeah. I think that's so important because I think, look what's happening. I mean, just, I was telling you about, before we started recording about... Uh, a very big disaster that happened close to my house that you never heard of, right? Yeah. We're all facing these groundless times where the elements are, you could say, rising up and uh, becoming our teachers. And so finding a stable external home or even the way in which the economy is working and all the different changes in the world powers and, you know, we're our, our little um, perhaps... Well, you're Canadian, so you're always subject to the American <laughs> personality, but <laughs> your neighbors, you know, things are changing, right, for this country and Here for too. your country. Here too. Yeah. Oh, big time, big time. And we're just, it's amazing to watch. So finding a place where we can synchronize in ourselves is going to be, you know, regardless of our external conditions, I think is going to be literally literally a life and death matter because yeah. because i think um i mean i i think about this a lot because i think that there are no guarantees uh, any longer and when we live in the conditions that we live in where we're all interdependent and there's so many things that can disrupt our comfort mm -hmm. i think we are we have to expand our mind about so many things, uh, community, uh, how we live in, in synchronization with the elements, how we live in synchronization with our own body, speech, and mind, and our neighbors. I mean, all mm. of this is just up right now. I, I'm curious as you're speaking to that, because I totally agree. Um, my experience of this is I feel like I'm constantly getting sort of almost attached to all of the the elements and the physicality and everything going on in the world. And it, it can be very challenging to come back home to myself in that more spiritual connection that I was mentioning. And I know that you do a lot of work with people around helping them 
facilitate those experiences of coming home to themselves, so to speak. Like what for people listening that might, you know, just be dialing into this for the first time where they're like, well, that's really nice and and maybe some comfort there, but like, how do I actually do that? Because every time I sit down to meditate or make space, like I just want to fill up the space with more kind of chase. Right. So yeah. where do you start? Like, where does that, where does one start with that? Well, I think it's a good moment to look at your day, how you live your days, how, literally the, the rhythms of our days, how mm. we live, what are our daily rituals? Like literally, I, I do an exercise often with um, the students uh, that attend Karuna training, uh, and we look at our rituals morning to night. What are what are, what do they look like, and which ones are supporting us to be at home? Like we have to look at the rituals that we cultivate. So sometimes when I can't sleep in the middle of the night. Um, I will pick up my phone. It's not such a good habit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, pick up the phone just to fill it. Well, lately, I, I really looked at that because that can put me on some kind of alarm and affect my dreams. Like I'll go back to sleep and then I have these headline-driven dreams or something. So that's not the time to look at my headlines. And mm -hmm. actually, I'm now really aspiring not to look at headlines until later in the day when I have more resources. Yes. I want to know what's going on. I'm very curious. But I don't want to be blown off my center because of the uh, dramatization of newspapers trying to sell their copy. You know, that's what's happening yes. here, right? They're just looking for it's clickbait often. Completely. So, yeah, and so keeping like some, um, we talk about container around our lives, right? And that's very hard when you have children and when you have a very demanding job or you have to be somewhere. So it really comes down to how we're treating ourselves on a day-to-day -day basis. Are we friends with ourselves? Are, right. are we our worst enemy, right? Mm -hmm. So many people don't know how to be friends with themselves. That was yeah. very true for myself when i met the dharma in my 20s i was my own worst enemy with tons of self-hatred and i think that's quite common and i worry today with these children watching these TikTok videos and all this coming in the comparative mind that's going on that's why we see so much suicide yeah How i do don't we... think i would have been able to handle that you know as a youth <laughs> yeah yeah it, it it's so true and Wow, I, I'm just so curious, like in a world like that right now that we're in, and especially the youth coming up, like how does one pull themselves away from the headlines and, and cultivate that discipline? Like, yeah, discipline what, is it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. What's helped you like access that in the moments when you have? Because I find it so hard. It's like yeah. it's so easy to fall off track. I'm just curious how any suggestions on how to cultivate that, the discipline. Yeah, it's funny because um, I'm fortunate in that I was um, I was a cheerleader when I was in high school, and yeah. we had to be up at six a.m. and out on a field, and um, that created a lot of discipline for me. I really think you know these kind of activities that kids have. Not all kids want to do that, right? But um, 
So discipline is something I think that gets instilled in you somehow by external circumstances that kind of demand it from you, school mm-hmm. or homes or something, you know, discipline is something that we adhere to, like anyone who's ever been in the military. Actually, the thing they often love the most was the discipline, because discipline simplifies things. It makes yes. everything simple. We all know the rules, right? At the same time, discipline can be very oppressive. So we have to find some kind of sweet spot. And I have driven myself crazy with discipline before too, mm. as a runner or exerciser, you know, just pushing over. You know what I mean? So you can I be do. cruel to yourself with discipline too. So it's always finding that sweet spot. And I think that sweet spot comes down to, are we friends with ourselves? Can we, can we extend warmth to ourselves? If we were sitting with a friend and they were us and they were telling us about themselves, what would we say to them? Wow. Right? What would we say to ourselves in a state? So, um, and we do need connection with others. There's times, right? We need, we need people that we can turn to. And that can, when we are isolated or we're in new situations, that can be very difficult. Right. But right now, there are so many outreach things, so many helplines and things. If people have uh, just a, a little bit of initiative and they kind of open their mind, there are places you can reach out to, churches and yes. community sites. There are places if we open our mind and heart. I'd even suggest your Karuna training from what I've heard. Oh, <laughs> like, thank you. Well, Karuna is... Yeah. Karuna, I'd love love it if people were interested in Karuna training. We're just getting ready to start a 2023 cohort. It'll go up online. What is Karuna um, training? Like just for people. Karuna training is a certificate in contemplative psychology. Just to, we. It sounds we really offer, fancy. <laughs> no, it is. It sounds fancy. Um, originally, the work contemplative psychology was. Uh, presented at Naropa Institute as contemplative psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. When I um, got out, I, I worked as a therapist for some time, and then I, I really didn't want to work as a therapist anymore. I didn't like the model, and I particularly worked with women, and there's a lot of misogyny in traditional therapy, and I, I couldn't befriend that. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, I'm an educator. That's, that's much more my calling. And of course, there is a place for therapy. It just wasn't the right thing for me. So um, when I was asked um, to start teaching and training in the Shambhala tradition in Europe, many psychologists came together and they said, we want this contemplative psychology. They were already trained. And so I I created um, with several others a training that is uncouples the therapeutic training and just brings this kind of um, the contemplative psychology piece. And uh, many therapists are looking or healers are looking to integrate a kind of meditation or mindfulness. And this is a training that integrates the Buddhist path, but um, but non-traditionally integrates with integrates it in us with a lot of psychological Western process. So we not only study, um, it's a cohort training. So the people travel together through an entire year and a half or two together. 
Wow. And they do several programs. The next cohort will be eight programs with a couple of meditation retreats in it. And it's a deep dive into our the Buddhist psychology of our mind and how, how it develops and the cultivation of our heart. And we learn how to offer ourselves skillfully in compassionate exchange. So we teach a, a process that looks like therapy, but it's not because we're not trying to heal or fix anyone. Nobody's trying to take a stance as healer. It's just how do we hold benevolent um, conversations and processes that evokes the intrinsic health of others. Wow. That's ultimately what we're training people in. So, so, at so the it's end a of, really, I'm just at curious, the end the, of it, you have a, yeah. I was just going to ask at the, at the end of it, like, yeah, what, what do people kind of come away with from what you've seen? Well, we, we ask them to do a project where they apply the, all the methods that they've learned in contemplative psychology in their life. Mm -hmm. And we ask them to make it real for them. So to bring it to their life, their relationships, or to offer themselves in compassionate exchange so that they can take this work out into the world. And there's, a lot of people make that very personal. Some people make that professional um, um, in terms of their, their livelihood. But there's almost no one who isn't navigating relationships, right? And yes. so it's a very applicable work. Uh, it's the work of the heart. Um, but you do get a certificate and we do offer CEUs for like therapists that are looking for that. So we have a professional side to it. And many people have gone on and um, gone back to school, people that weren't therapists and gotten a degree in therapy or in palliative care or in this or that, because the work inspired them that they really love. Oh, that's incredible. Offering healing cool. containers for others. Yeah. I think and it's, it's so very great. unusual. Yeah, it's unusual because we draw on this ancient mandala called the five Buddha families and Chukyam Trungpa created a, a practice called Maitri Space Awareness, which is very unusual. You lie in different postures, either with glasses or in different colored rooms. And by lying in those postures for 20 minutes and then aimlessly wandering, you start to evoke and start to understand different aspects of your energy. The, um, not only your own energy, but the energy in others that are divided into these uh, this mandala, do you know what mm. that word means? Um, this this circle and uh, with the center. It's just it's just a a means of thinking through the different ways in which our styles and energies can emerge. And the the main thing is that our confusion, our 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 um, neurosis, is inseparable from our wisdom. And that's what the Maitri space awareness starts to teach us. So that we begin to realize like we're operating on a continuum. And when we learn to turn our allegiance towards sanity and selflessness, we can, those diamonds naturally begin to emerge in us. But wow. if we turn ourselves towards ego and territory and defending ourselves and who we are, our world gets small and our life is complicated. Right. It's pretty, pretty much like that. It's interesting. I, it's so much is coming up as I'm listening to you speak about this. I, I recently was um, speaking with somebody about the stages of adult development, and ah. they were pointing to this um, theory, I guess, that about 80% of the world is in what we call conventional 
um, operation, so to speak. And conventional is really more in that sort of egoic place of like, you know, self, self identifying and like, I need, I need to be this certain role in the world and, and whatnot. And just like our attachments to everything where the, the bridge to cross us into post conventional from what I understand, which is maybe 20% of the world from what they've studied is sort of in this place that you're speaking about where, you know, you're not attached to that egoic so much. You start realizing that there's something so much greater that is not in the, the material. It's in the spirit somehow. And I, I'm still myself trying to cross that bridge and understand it. But I would love well, to hear your perspective like, uh, on that. That's very interesting. I'm curious about that. But I'd say for myself, there's an in-between stage of going back and forth. Between yes. the conventional, there's constantly this oscillation between the conventional. I have to pay my bills, I have to, da, 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 whatever it is that you yes, know, totally. we run through our mind, and the capacity to raise our gaze and open our heart and see the wisdom of the invisible forces operating in the world, like the moon going through its cycles, or the sun rising and setting, or the leaves of the trees in the garden knowing when to bloom and when to you know the whole cyclic existence of 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 nature can be such a good teacher and allow us kind of out of that prison of self uh self-consumption let's call it that self-occupation right yes and so that can happen in a moment well it it happened like i just want to share this because just to pause for a minute like i Last week was down in Sarasota, Florida. And I had the most euphoric week in this sense that every person I met and everything I, I, like I was so present in that experience that like the dolphins were like swimming by the boat and you know, a blue, her- <laughs> a blue heron dropped in and just taught me stillness. And like these incredible miracles were happening. It was almost like my oh, life wow. was, a, was like a movie and unfolding without any attachment. I couldn't, it was just unbelievable. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I felt like I was like, I've never done drugs, but I felt like I was high. Like even Uh all the signs on the walls that I was seeing everywhere were like just exactly confirming things I was thinking. And I I just, I don't know how I accessed it. Like, I I don't know how, but I'm like, now the the part of me that's attached wants to be like, I want that all the time. You You must have been very relaxed, huh? I was so relaxed. Yes, I was. And so where, what, were you visiting friends or what was your outer conditioning that allowed you to relax at that level? I was visiting I think when some we friends. Do relax, when yeah. we do relax fully and, and touch that self-love, that's where, where we are, in synchroni- in, in synchronized with our world. Oh my gosh. That is like magic. Is to, you're totally onto it. It's like, but how to access that relaxation <laughs> is such a tall order when, you know, <laughs> You just when like you this, have things to do. <laughs> yes, it's like this all this like urgency, like this sort of I gotta get somewhere. Right. I gotta, you know, it's like so stressful, and oh, that toggle between. And I'm just longing for the the first part where it's just like I just want to be. I just want to be in that relaxed space. Yeah, and I think that the thing to ride there, or what we talk a lot about in Karuna, is the oscillation between the relative and the um, the absolute, which is the absolute is this non-dual exchange with the world that you're describing. Yes. Right? 
Yeah, where it's a we're, beautiful. I, I, I say in my book, I have a chapter called Not One, Not Two. So you're not one because one, when there's one, we're attached to being one. There's an ego there, but yeah. not two either. We're not divided. So not one, not two is this abiding with really, I think, things as they are in their mm. natural state. And wow. I often think about, like I wonder a lot about um, indigenous peoples and mm. how they abided before, you know, our current Western imposition of civilization came along. <laughs> you know, yes. I think about that because they lived tribally, they had to. Yeah. I'm not saying it wasn't a brutal existence because I'm sure it was in many ways with the various elements and animals and stuff. But I, I think, I don't know. It's just our, we have to look at progress. Mm -hmm. We have to look at progress with a skeptical eye. <laughs> progress in quotation marks. Yes. <laughs> yes, I know. It's almost become too complex now. My friend Ned always yeah. talks about less is more, you know? And yet yes, it seems like, seems like we're in the culture of like, you know, less is not worth anything. Like it's like the more I have or the more I fill up, the more sort of successful or progressive I'm going to be. And, and it's mm -hmm. just so counterintuitive to what we're talking about here, which is where the, mm -hmm. the true peace and joy seems to be more accessible, you know? It's like we're going down the wrong road towards <laughs> like this target of wanting happiness or joy, or, but it's like we're trying to access it through more, 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 doing, doing, doing. Right. We're, we're trying to access it through consumer, consuming. Yes. We're trying to, you know, buy it or gather it or get it, right? Yes. Instead of, instead of um, dive inside and find it already, what's there. And it's so reinforced, like all around. You just, like you said, you turn on your phone and it's reinforced. You have conversations right. with friends, it's reinforced. I'm curious for you, like any suggestions or thoughts about how do you reinforce or complement the other where you're, you're accessing this space of less is more, being present? Well, this is where, uh, you know, not everybody can meditate because they don't have the circumstances or the space or the wherewithal to, to have a sitting practice. Mm -hmm. Probably most of your listeners who have time to listen to a podcast are in a circumstance where they could set some time aside to meditate. But uh, even 15 or 20 minutes a day, letting yourself sit in silence just to find yourself where you are in the moment. Meditation is not like you're doing something and often people approach meditation and they're told how to do it and then they try to fit themselves into a box. Yes. Like, to do it right or something, which yes. is <laughs> so pointless. But I mean, yeah. I understand that that's our, our way. We want to, you know, we want to do it right. But the thing is about meditation is it's really practicing um, relaxing with ourselves as we are in this moment. That's all we're doing. And the type of meditation I do is with open eyes. So we're meditating with ourselves as we are in this moment as it is, right? Uh, so we're completely synchronizing like whatever it is. So some days we don't like 
who we are and what our circumstances are. And we need to slow down and feel that. That's information. It's information to feel. And unless we feel our life, unless we're just always trying to get away, but really feel our life, that's where our wisdom is because those emotions are intelligent. I love that we're going here because this was kind of what I was hoping we'd get to as well is the emotional part of this because yeah. it's so easy to Because emotions are there for a reason, but we, we manage them, right? We want to suppress them. Yes. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Or, or we act them out, which is a way of um, adding fuel to the fire, right? It's like a lot of people get high on being angry. Yep. It intimidates others and, and it creates a false sense of power, right? Instead of going right to the middle and feeling the energy as it's abiding in our body right now, whatever it is. And that is really counterintuitive because it can be painful. So this is where we need intensity capacity to come home to ourselves sometimes, right? We have to build that muscle, that capacity. It's just like the nervous system in the sense of having to build the capacity to tolerate um, the stress or the (laughs) the stress or whatever we can feel emotionally. We need to learn how to feel our emotions and honor them for the messages that they bring to us. How do we build that muscle? Like how do we, well, we have to go, we have to sit with the energy as it is In, in Karuna. We give a practice called the four step practice. I describe it in my book, which is first you have to, Drop out of the head because we always try and think our way out of emotions. Isn't that true? But that's not where emotions are coming from the body. So we have to feel our way through them as they are. So first you have to drop out of the head and just find where the energy is resonating in the body. Mm-hmm. And then you place that wherever you find in a cradle of loving kindness. Those are Trungpa's words in a container as if I often say, like you found a baby bird on the ground, you would just, you know, very gently hold that. That's how we hold the energy because it's our teacher. And then as we, as we feel it more, the minute we begin to feel emotions because they're dynamic by nature, they begin to move. It's only when we block them that they become, you know, stagnant and, but when we feel them, they begin to move and we let that permeate us. We let it inform us. We let it go through all of us. And then we, uh, the fourth step is, is we open our eyes and uh, ground ourselves in the present moment as it is. So it's a meditation, an emotional meditation practice that teaches us to come close to the energy as it is and move through it because it's there for a reason. Mm-hmm. And that's so not what we want to do often, right? <laughs> it's true. But, um, but when I get hit emotionally, now I, um, I took a lesson from Temple Grandin, who is the autistic lady in Colorado, um, in uh, Fort Collins, Colorado. Oh, I love she it works there. With, <laughs> yeah, and she works with animals and she's uh, brilliant. Uh, professor there, but she's in herself is autistic, and she understood that people on the spectrum need to be held, literally physically held. So I took that teaching from her that when I get hit emotionally, I actually wrap myself, you know, in a shawl or a blanket, and I just literally hold myself to feel it fully. What is it? 
And, you know, sometimes that takes some time mm. just to, but I trust it. I trust it because I, I, um, I, I've seen it. Um, it's not, not trying to get rid of the emotion, but to move through to the wisdom of the emotion. And I've, I just want to distinguish here. I notice when I try that at times, my mind kicks in trying to interpret and figure out like, why am I feeling this way? Right. Exactly. What what do you do when that happens? Well, you drop back to the body. That's where, again, where meditation is helpful because one of the things that we're doing when we're meditating is like letting our mind be like children playing in the attic. It's carrying on. It has, Trung talked about it as subconscious gossip is happening all the time. We don't have to listen to it all the time. We don't yes. have to follow every thought down the rabbit hole. Uh, you know, you can really learn to not believe everything you think. And that's really important because a lot of the things we think are, are conditioned mental habits. Yes. I'm not good enough. They don't like me. La, 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 right? Whatever yeah. the repertoire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So it's really, um, you know, again, practices. We need methods and practices to come home to ourselves. I love it. it. It really requires a lot of vulnerability. This It does. And isn't it ironic that right in the midst of all that vulnerability is our greatest strength? Yes. Right in the midst of all that stuff that we're avoiding is where we abide. It's the strangest thing. I wish we, that was taught in kindergarten, actually. And yet it's the I opposite. Mean, that, it's like, you know, <laughs> don't, don't feel that, you know, boys don't cry, big girls don't cry. You got to progress. You've got to be like successful. You got to make your way. In the, you, if you do that, you're going to be weak. Like that is such a common thread. Mm-hmm. And what we're talking mm-hmm. about here is like the complete opposite, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is where our freedom and joy is, honestly. Yeah. And, and, and liberation. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and wow. I guess, you know, I mean, it's pointed that I I always say, teach what you need to learn. It's pointed <laughs> that I found this work because I'm a very emotional person, and I'm highly affected emotionally. That's where I go. My emotions are the first things that peak, right? That isn't true for everyone. Other people just go right to their head and emotions and don't ask me how I feel. It's irritating. You know, we're on different, we're all on a continuum, right? And we need to know where we are yes. and honor that. Yes. Oh, <laughs> Melissa, this is amazing. I just want to um, remind listeners here that your book is called The Diamonds Within Us. And this is going to be an incredible read on how to access those diamonds within you by slowing down, by actually starting to integrate all of what we've been talking about today. And I'd also really encourage you, we'll put it in the show notes, but uh, to, to check out your Karuna training as well. I think that's a powerful- yeah, Karunatraining.com, right. Yeah, yeah please. Uh, we're just getting ready to launch another and we do some other programs. We have a free monthly uh, one hour Karuna Live most of our work happens in person. We interact together and uh, we haven't gone the route of creating um, all the training where people listen at their own time. Yes. Um, we're so thinking about it, but, but what we do things live because it's all about the relationship. So. Yeah. Oh, I love that you're doing it live, to be honest. I think it's <laughs> way more the energies in the present moment. I mean, that's what this is about. Too. Well, 
Yeah, and it's very subtle awareness sometimes, especially when we work with the five Buddha families, it's very subtle awareness about the energies of the world. And so what I notice is a lot can happen online. I've been amazed what can happen and how wonderful that we can connect like this. And yet, yeah. and when it comes to awareness training, it's it's so different when you have the whole body and you're in the environment together. It's just night and day how much the heart will open. We're, you know, so I'm 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 trying to make my training go back into person next year because, and so I'm madly looking for ways to afford that because I really we went online now for two years. Yep. And the 30 years before we were all in person. So yeah, I know so the difference. Yeah. So I really want to go back. Yes. I mean, it's nice to use online to integrate in between. Like mm -hmm. you can come together and stay connected. But the actual training, I'm hoping that we get back in person. So. Oh, well, I hope people definitely go check this out if it's calling to you. Um, Melissa, just before we close here with our conversation, I hope we have many more because I'm absolutely, completely feeling the resonance being with you here. But I just wanted to, um, just from my heart and gratitude, just share how much I'm appreciating your wisdom and Oh, I see you. you as a diamond, like the, there's a light radiating from you because you're, you're one of those people in the world that are coming from a place of truth and integrity and really this place as well of vulnerability. Like, and we need more of that light in the world. And I just want to really just acknowledge you for, for, for being here and, and sharing that message with the world. You're a beautiful, beautiful woman and soul. And thank you. Thanks for being on my podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you. And I appreciate what you're doing too in providing this platform. All right. Well, that concludes another episode of Let's Connect. And I hope that it's inspired you as much as it has me. Thank you so much for tuning in. And remember to subscribe to both the YouTube channel and the podcast channel. And I look forward to you joining me on the next episode of Let's Connect.